Hello everyone and welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler and of course, this is the way. That is my, my best Pedro Pascal impersonation that probably sounded better in my head than it did in the microphone, but you know what? I'm keeping it because it is Sunday morning. This is an early time for an intro and I am half full of a little bit of water and a heck of a lot of coffee that I'm waiting to just kick in because as of right now, the Mandalorian season three is four days away from its premiere and I couldn't be more excited. I, I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars nut, but I feel like this show has reinvigorated my love for the Star Wars universe. In fact, I would give anything to be on that show. I would give up sugar to be on that show. Oh, sweet, sweet sugar. I, I love you, but you know what? If that's what it takes to, to be on The Mandalorian, man, I will do it. Not a single donut shall be touched in my presence working on that set. But I've also been sitting on this episode for, gosh, almost five weeks now sitting on it for five weeks, knowing that The Mandalorian was going to come out in March. Uh, but yeah, as much as I wanted to release it earlier, it's only fitting for me to save it till this week because I had the chance to chat with the armorer herself, Emily Swallow, which if you're a fan of The Mandalorian, you know that her face is always covered, but she has been working in films and television and video games for years. She's a fantastic actress, a fantastic voice performer, as proven by The Mandalorian. Uh, but you may have seen her in you know, Supernatural, SEAL Team, Castlevania, her voice in Castlevania at least. And she was in The Last of Us Part Two. I mean, she's a just an amazing talent, and I had a joy talking to her, uh, You know, getting a chance to hear how she got into the business, what drove her to get into it in the first place, and you know, where she wants to go next. Uh, it was just, it was so much fun. So I'm going to shut my mouth and we're going to sit down and we'll have a lovely talk with the amazing Emily Swallow. Hi, my name is Emily Swallow and I am an actor and a singer and I dabble in writing um, and I am a, a, a dog mom, um, and a recorder of ridiculous dog videos, which I should figure out how to monetize, but I haven't yet. What, what kind of dog videos are we talking about here? Cause now well, I'm interested. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, people have like really built a, uh, a whole industry out of like putting their dogs on Instagram. And I think they, well, I know they make money off of it. And I have two dogs named Norma Jean, um, who's four. She's half uh, French Bulldog, half Boston Terrier. And now we have Arthur Miller, who is Norma Jean's third husband. Um, and he is a pug pit bull mix, which is ridiculous because he's basically just, he's like 83% pug. So he's like a big overgrown pug. Um, but I like telling people he's a pit bull, you know, part pit bull because he's, it's just ridiculous. Like he's a clown. <laughs> and they're insane. And they, Arthur is obsessed with Norma, which seems appropriate. And all he wants is to be like on all over her at all times and to play with her and for her to love him. And the sounds he makes are otherworldly. Like he just sounds like this, this mythical creature. Sometimes he's trying so desperately to talk. And, you know, they'll play tug of war with these stuffed animals and rip them to shreds. And like, I call 
what Arthur does sometimes is doggy parkour because he'll just get the zoomies and he'll be like running up over the back of the couch and like jump off the the back like it's his, you know, like backboard and go under and over and like never crash at all. Um, they, I mean, they're they're just way more interesting than I am most of the time. <laughs> well, they sound like social media worthy dogs, like not only their size, but the personalities that you get with that. Yeah, That's I have way more. Cow. And Norma Jean does have an Instagram account. Um, and I have way more fun posting on hers than on mine, but I just don't like people are, are really skillful at, you know, putting together these reels and editing them and like putting their dogs in outfits and putting all the captions on there. And I just, I don't take the time to do that. I mean, you're, you're a little busy, right? At least for the, I guess that's the excuse, but isn't everybody, (laughs) isn't the world busy? We're all busy. Yeah. I think we're, uh, I, Honestly, I think we're busy for anything else. Like if someone asks you to go out for drinks or something, but the second our dog does something interesting or just completely wackadoodle, we somehow carve 45 minutes out of our day Yeah. say, well, why are you doing that? I need to record this. Can you do that again? I'll give you a cookie. You know, it's just one of those. Well, the other night, my dogs discovered peppers. Um, And I don't mean like they ate peppers. I mean, I was taking bell peppers out of the grocery bag to put them in the fridge. And Arthur comes into the kitchen and he's like, what is that? Like <laughs> he, it was, it was public enemy number one. He went crazy and he was barking his head off and I held it out. And I was like, Arthur, is this what you're worried about? And he like backs up. He's like, what is that? That's going to kill me. And so I have, you know, this like five minute video of them coming towards the pepper, running away from the pepper, hiding under the couch from the pepper. And then I like lobbed the pepper like into the middle of the room and they ran away and then they come in and they're sniffing it. It's, you, you can't, um, it's. <laughs> how, how much of these interactions have fueled your self tapes and auditions? They're brilliant character <laughs> studies. And I won't lie, they do, they do, especially in this time of like every single audition now is a self-tape. You don't really go in in person anymore to meet anybody. And so you sort of get the sense sometimes that you're like creating these characters and they're just disappearing into the ether. Like sometimes I'm like, is anyone actually watching these? And so I do like I I I I need to amuse myself. And, um, and, and this isn't to say that I don't take them seriously. I, I absolutely do. And I put time and effort into them, but sometimes I do, I think, okay, like what is something new that I could get inspiration from? And animals are, are brilliant. And I, I, I have used animals, um, in character creations before, because I do, um, I mean, I think that, that it's so useful to draw from, from nature, from, I mean, especially any, any type of creature, but my dogs give me give me some good ideas. It honestly, it sounds like it. I don't know if yeah. I'd be able to go a day in that house without thinking, hmm, I'm gonna save that for later. Yeah. <laughs> but I do actually speak on that. I want to ask, I'm sure you've answered it before several times, but how did you get into this crazy industry? Speaking of, you know, self-tapes that go into the ether and us wondering if people are even watching our three-minute monologue videos. Uh, yeah. how, how did you hop on the, uh, the performing arts train? Um, I was one of those people who sort of like side 
stepped my way into it because I didn't know. I, I loved performing from an early age, but I didn't really know it was something that I personally could do professionally because it, it just wasn't, it didn't exist in my, um, like with anyone in my sphere of influence, there was no one in my personal life who did it professionally. And I was a kid who was interested in so many things. Um, and I'm so blessed that I had parents who encouraged me to be interested in so many things. I mean, the sky was the limit. And I, I have one brother uh, who's older than me. And, um, you know, our parents were, they they always encouraged us to work hard and to do our best. Um, and I am so appreciative that um, both of them really taught me the value of hard work for work's sake, um, you know, just to like, to work with integrity, no matter what other people think about it, and to find value in the work that you put into something, no matter what the outcome is. Um, and I'm really grateful for that because, you know, speaking of self tapes that go into the ether, like you, you do have to, to recognize that your work has value, no matter what kind of feedback you get about it. Um, or even when you are getting feedback, you can get wildly variant feedback. And so you have to, you know, know what, what value it has for you. Um, so I was always, my, my way into performing was music because both of my parents love music. My mom is a wonderful singer. My dad dabbled in lots of different instruments. Um, my grandfather, who I never got to meet, my dad's dad, um, he was a, a jazz musician on the side. Like that was sort of his side gig. And he would play at clubs in New Orleans and in Alabama. And I have all these great pictures of him because he was he was this really, really tall man with this just striking platinum blonde hair. And he always had his trumpet in these pictures. And I just love that image of him. Um, and so they they passed on that love of music to me and performing. We were always going to see traveling theater that came into town. Um, and I, I started singing in the church choir at a really early age and doing, you know, that kind of performance. And then I did school plays and and I was always creating. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't call them plays. They weren't that complex, but, you know, uh, performances with my my friends and my my cousins, especially. Um, and I remember you know, touching on Star Wars, because people always ask me, like, what was your first Star Wars memory? I remember playing Ewok Adventures in my backyard when I was really little. Like that was that was just woven into the fabric of my childhood. Um, and we would make like we would make commercials with the back when you had the big VHS cameras, the home home yeah. camcorders. <laughs> um, and my parents always encouraged that. Um, it was not something that I ever thought when I was little that I was going to do as a career, but I loved it. So I put time into it. Um, and in the meantime, I was um, super, super studious. And, and that was sort of the way that I distinguished myself from my older brother, who was like superstar athlete and really charismatic. And I was actually really shy, which I think is another reason I liked performing because it it gave me it gave me a way to express myself that felt a little safer than just saying like, here I am. Cause it gave me, 
it gave me rules to play by and, you know, another character who could help me express myself. Um, and so in college, I went to the University of Virginia, which has a wonderful theater department that does not require you to be a drama major to be heavily involved. And that was so great for me because I was not a drama major. I was a Middle Eastern studies major and I thought I was going to go into the foreign service. So my time in undergrad was sort of divided between this major and uh, and kind of just doing a lot of stuff in the drama department and taking acting classes and doing plays and directing plays. And then um, I had an acting teacher who saw how much I loved it. And he said, well, have you considered doing this as a career? Because you seem to really love it and you you are good at it. And he sort of gave me permission to, to like dare to want that. I think I was afraid to want it, um, quite honestly. And so I said, yeah, I, I, I do. I think I want that. That sounds insane, but I think I want that. Because, you know, I knew how challenging something like that could be. Um, but he, along with the encouragement of some other teachers there, because I, I had great support there. Um, I worked up like 12 different monologues that I could do at the drop of a hat so that I could go audition for all of these different conservatory programs. And um, and one of the ones that I got into was NYU grad acting. And I knew enough to know that it was a really good program. And it was in New York, which seemed, you know, practically very smart because it would be great to get to know that city while earning my MFA so that then when I was auditioning, it wouldn't be such a, a culture shock. So um, that door opened and I walked through it. And uh, and I feel very fortunate that a lot of the doors like that opened for me when I was still kind of like, oh, I guess, I don't know. So that then when it did become a lot more challenging and I had to sort of, you know, really pound on the doors <laughs> and say, no, I really, really, really do want this. Um, I was willing to, because it, I, I think that I, you know, I needed a lot of encouragement at first. I wasn't, I wasn't willing to fight for it at the very beginning. Um, and since then it has definitely, I mean, it's a, as you know, it is a very challenging profession, even when you love it, because the art of it is in no way the, the path of your love for the art is like this with what is asked of you practically and you know how much work you need to put into something based or uh, in association with like you, the rate of return you get you know i like i i tell people cuz especially the star wars and the mandalorian and like supernatural these things that i get all this wonderful recognition for are like lightning in a bottle because I, I make sure people know not to complain or anything, but just like the reality is, you know, I audition for probably a hundred things a year at least. And I don't get at least 95 this year, 99 of those, you know? And so the fact that like, one year, the one thing I got was the Mandalorian is bonkers. And I feel so fortunate. And 
I had, you know, I had done all the preparation that prepared me to be able um, to play a role like that. And I feel so excited that I get to play a role like that and that I get to bring, you know, mask training that I did in grad school. Like who knew when I was doing mask training at NYU that it would come in handy for Star Wars? Like what the heck? <laughs> um and there's no way I could have ever planned that out. There's no way that I could have been like, someday I want to play a character in the Star Wars universe. So I better make sure I do some mask training for the stage. And, you know, you kind of just have to, I feel like you, to some extent, you have to really follow the things you love and be well-versed in all of that. And then accept the opportunities that come your way. And then you're going to get what you're meant to get. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Uh, well, now, yeah, you can't be picky uh, career wise as as an actor in general. Right. And mm -hmm. I really am curious to to find out how your first onset experience was working in front of a camera, say, uh, let's say your first co-star role on a TV show. What was that like for you? And was there a shift for you creatively where you went, OK, all right, like this is. This is something I want to I want to keep going. Yeah, speaking back on the yeah. doors are opening and that hesitation and being at that young age, how how was that for you as far as change goes personally? Like your first co-star role? Yeah, well, you know, when I finished um grad school, I was convinced that I didn't ever want to do television, maybe film, but I loved theater so much and I still love theater. I mean, in terms of the acting process, like just that part of it, theater is still my absolute favorite because I I feel like that's where I can really let go as an actor and the process feels more organic. It feels more collaborative. Um, I love the rehearsal process. I love, I love the way the discovery of the piece unfolds in theater. I like being in a room for an extended period of time and the discoveries that you get to make that are so subtle and nuanced that just don't really have time to happen in the same way um, in television and film. Um, there's a different, I mean, there's equally as impressive and as illuminating discoveries that get made in TV and film. They just don't happen the same way. Um, and the quality of the final product is not any less, um, but it's because of other elements, I think, in addition to the acting. I just love, you know, as an actor, I love the acting process for theater. Um, but then I, I quickly came to realize after I was doing some off-Broadway and some regional theater, and and I think even up to the point where I did my first Broadway show, I, I realized it would be really hard to make a living only doing theater. And I was sort of curious, okay, what is this on-camera thing? Um, it's a very different way of working to me just because, I mean, the main difference to me is just the, the um, you know, having to piece together the story in such, a, in such smaller fragments. And um, at first, the learning curve that comes from having to let go of that self-consciousness from having so many people in your kind of your bubble 
when you're shooting something and the self-consciousness of the camera being there, because the camera feels like another character almost, but one that you, you don't necessarily ignore because you do need to be aware. I think I need to be aware of how the camera, you know, what, like, I can't, I can't turn away from the camera. I need to know like how the camera is picking me up, but I also can't be totally focused on that because I think that that reads so it's this, it's just this different awareness when you're on stage and the audience can see all of you at all times, you know, unless you turn your back, you have a lot more freedom. Um, and so for me, I'm, I feel like I'm still sort of like in different, different, uh, environments. Sometimes I still have to get used to, okay, what is, what's my relationship to the camera on this set? Um, so that that was a learning curve. And my first uh, and and I did a lot of sort of just trying to learn on my own, you know, working with the camera. Um, and we did a little bit of that. And at NYU, we had some camera classes. But my first professional job was on a soap opera called Guiding Light. Um, and <laughs> that was incredible because those move so fast. And, um, man, oh man, I developed a lot of respect for soap actors when I saw how much dialogue they have to get through in a day and how many pages of shooting and how they have to trust their instincts so much because they don't have time to reshoot a scene over and over and over. Um, they don't have time to say like, oh no, that wasn't quite right. I need to go back and do that again. They really have to be in the moment and trust their instincts. And if something like starts to go wrong, you know, inside say like, okay, I just need to be able to work with this. And how can I let the, and it was incredible. So it, it, it was humbling because, you know, I think I had a certain idea of soap operas and sort of judged them. And, um, and it was so much fun. And the, the actors that I was working with on that were really wonderful. Um, and very forgiving because, you know, it was my first on-camera job. So I was not I was not super comfortable and I was not like, I went in super prepared because I, I, I knew I was going to be nervous. And that still like is the thing I have to do when I go onto a new set, because um, it's like the first day of school, you, you're going in and especially if you're a guest star on something and you're, you're the one person that's new, everyone else already knows the ropes, you know, it's like you're the transfer student at a new school and you're trying to figure out like where everything's located and everyone else already knows like where all the classrooms are and who all the teachers are and like what the flow of the day is. And you're just trying to fit in and and be comfortable so that you can just so you can, you know, do the work that you've prepared. So um, I had to be as prepared as possible. That's like the baseline, which means rehearsing on my own. And that's the thing that to me is sort of a bummer about, um, about a lot of TV shows and how quickly they move. Like you often don't get rehearsal really. And I love rehearsal. I love discovering things with other people. And, and so I have to do that on my own, you know, with friends, with my husband, with, uh, my coach sometimes. Um, but then you never know what you're going to get when you get to set because then you're working with the people who are actually playing the parts and they might be doing something entirely different. So it's like you prepare as much as possible, but then you also have to be ready to do something completely different, which is, is awesome. It's fun, but it's, uh, yeah, you have to be so present and in the moment. 
Yeah, it's very, at least for me personally, when that initially happened on my first like uh, co-star role surrounded by all the main cast and the director saying, okay, we're going to try this. There's a little bit of that fear, that panic of, oh, but I had it this way. But yeah. like you said, as long as you're open to it, the second you get into it, it, there's a flow. Everyone's there to do their job and everyone's obviously prepared. So it just, it works out perfectly. But I do want to ask uh, if you have any story that's you know relevant to your career something that stands out so immensely uh you could easily recant it amongst friends at a party so a lot of people go to you know botched auditions or being starstruck by somebody or something like it could be funny tragic it could be dramatic just a story that really stands out to you that you could share with our listeners oh boy um hmm which I know is a loaded question. <laughs> There's probably yeah. so much. Well, I will say it's it's amazing what you can block out when you have to. Because I'm I'm remembering one day when I was shooting. Um, there was a series I did. I, I got so spoiled with my very first series regular gig because it was for a show called Monday Mornings. We only ran one season, um, but it was just a dream of an experience. It was a, a medical drama that um, was based on a, a novel that Sanjay Gupta had written. Um, and David E. Kelly did the TV, day, TV adaptation with him. And it was based on his own experiences in, in hospitals. Um, and it was Ving Rhames and Alfred Molina and Bill Irwin um, Jamie Bamber, uh, Saryu Rao, um, Jennifer, um, I'm blanking on her last name now, but it was this, this fabulous cast. And, um, it was just such a collaborative environment. And we did, I mean, we, we asked so many questions. We all, you know, talked about scenes beforehand. We talked about scenes you know, after work, before work. And so I thought that like every experience was going to be like that and they're not. Um, but I remember one day on that set, I had this, I, it was every episode sort of focused on one of the doctors in a big um, case that they had that had uh, gone wrong, a big medical case. And, um, and I remember the episode that was focusing on me I had this really intense ER scene where I was doing a tracheotomy and it was highly choreographed. You know, it was one that I'd had to like rehearse for a couple of days before we were shooting it. And the day that we were shooting it, I think I was starting to get the flu or something and I was just feeling horrible. And, uh, and I just felt like I was going to throw up like the whole time. But every time that we, that the camera was rolling, the feeling went away. And then every time, like between takes, I just had to sit down because I was so convinced I was going to throw up. And I, I was just uh, amazed at how that feeling like vanished when I had the pressure of like, okay, I have to shoot this. I have to get this right. Um, so that, that was a big relief, but it was also like one of the most horrible days. Cause I was like, of course this is happening while I'm, I'm shooting. This is miserable. Um, so that one definitely stands out. Another one that, that stands out as me getting totally starstruck because I, you know, there's people that I, 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 I go gaga over in my head, 
but I think I'm pretty good at keeping it together when I talk to them because I, you know, I respect them. And and mostly it's because I don't want to make them feel weird. Um, and I want the work environment to feel okay. But I, uh, did an episode of, um, the good wife with Eddie Izzard and he is just, I mean, I have admired his stand-up for years. And like I went to see a couple of his shows in New York. I went to see one where like he was creating his show. So it was like early on and he was trying out new material. And then I found out I was gonna be um a witness in this episode where he was a, a barrister because it was a case that was being tried, like with a with um American lawyers and English barristers and um and I got to work with him and I just remember like I wasn't quite sure when I was going to meet him and I got to meet him and I I was just tongue-tied and um and he was just the nicest guy because of course he's used to meeting so many people and he's used to being up on stage in front of people and you know I think stand-up is one of the most challenging things a performer can do um because you're required to go through a period with your work where it is absolutely going to crash and burn. Like you have to do that so that you can get to the good stuff. Um, so I think that that most of them probably have to have this ease and this humility and this this willingness to just be around people. And he was so delightful and it was so great to get to watch his process. Um, so those those two things definitely stand out. I uh, I can honestly say I couldn't imagine meeting Eddie Izzard and not losing my mind uh <laughs> just internally freaking out but going back to your your first story i've heard that a lot from other actors about you know the second actions called your body just goes into this self-preservation of no but i have my to goodness, do this right, right? yeah it uh have you seen the unbearable weight of massive talent yes okay yeah they, so yeah the the scene that i won't spoil in case anybody hasn't seen that great movie uh, it always makes me chuckle because it is pretty accurate to what happens if you're sick on set from what I've experienced for sure. Uh, that is the first story makes me feel so bad for you uh, for that entire day, especially when it's choreographed. Uh, but the second story is just just wonderful. And it's always nice to know that meeting a hero of yours went well. Yes. You right. Because <laughs> there's a lot of horror stories. Um, I do want to ask you. Speaking on, you know, being humble amongst other artists and, and supporting each other. Do you have any advice that you've personally held on to that you could pass on to our listeners, whether it's, you know, somebody who probably maybe right now they want to become a performer and they're just graduating college or maybe they've been in it for 10 years and they're trying to, to stick with it. Do you have anything that's helped you out that you could pass on to our listeners? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, what you said about about what you said, speaking of being humble, I think always, um, what, what is, what has been so remarkable to me with the people that I've worked with, especially on that show that I mentioned on, um, Monday mornings, that was sort of the first place I saw it where I was, I was working with a caliber of people that, um, I would have thought, oh, well, you know, some of these people have reason to not be humble. Like they've earned it or whatever. And I, cause I think that that's sort of a, an idea that a lot of people have about great talent and, and 
status um, that like you sort of lose that humility and you might demand more and, you know, who's number one on the call sheet. And the most talented people that I've worked with are also the most generous. And I don't think that that's a coincidence because I think that, I think that um, there is a tremendous relief that comes from recognizing that, that part of our work is being of service to the story, to the other actors, um, to the crew, um, because we are all trying to accomplish the same goal. And um, we, um, sorry, I just got totally distracted. Um, <laughs> we're trying to accomplish the same goal. And, um, and it's easier to do that if we're not completely worried about whether we're doing it well, you know? Um, and so I think that, that it's easy to be intimidated when you're going into a job, no matter what level you're at. I think it's easy to be worried, like, am I going to do this right? Have I prepared enough? Am I good enough? Um, and I think that that could be especially hard for people, um, who are at a high level because they know there's a lot expected of them. And yet what a relief if you can say, you know what, I can be of service to the people around me. I can help them by being kind. I can help them by seeing what they need. We're all working together. And I have seen that over and over again with these incredible people that I have worked with. Um, and that's such a lesson. And that in turn, releases the pressure on oneself when one um, is going into that environment, I think. So that that's one thing. I think don't ever, because I also have recognized in myself, sometimes I've been, you know, very intimidating going into a set. And so I might keep to myself because I don't want to bother anybody or I'm just not quite sure who everyone is. Because especially going into like a TV set, it's this huge hub of activity there's so many people running around. It feels like everything is urgent. Everything is an emergency. Um, and it's so, I, I encourage anyone who's, you know, going into a set for the first time to carefully, because it there can be things that you don't want to get in the way of, but like, go, you know, introduce yourself to people, go find out like who all the PAs are and, and, or ask a PA to take you around and introduce you to the camera guys and to the different departments because they appreciate that because the crew often gets overlooked um, and let them know that you appreciate being there. And um, in terms of people who are just starting out and sort of trying to find your way in the business, definitely um, know that there is there are going to be so many things that will kind of pull you to and fro and make you wonder what am I supposed to want within this business? And, you know, what's the prevailing trend? What's the, what's the best thing to aim for? What's the, what's the way I should be doing this? And while there are, you know, it is a business. And so there are sometimes strategies to, to build your visibility or, um, you know, smart ways to use like social media or smart ways to market yourself. There's also, you can definitely go way too far with that and you can lose sight of who you are and what it is that you love and what it is that excites you and what you want to pursue. And that ultimately 
is the most important thing because you that's all you really have. The other things are absolutely not guaranteed. And there's always going to be people who are sort of chasing the the trend um, because they think that that's going to go somewhere. And then the trend dies and people are just left running in circles. Um, but people respond to authenticity. People respond to um, to truth. And, and even if they don't, you're going to... I mean, I feel from experience, like I, and going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, um, even if like, I, I feel best when I have put an honest effort into something. And when I, when I love what I am doing with the effort I'm putting into something rather than, um, I'm putting the effort in that I think somebody else wants me to put into it. And then it doesn't matter as much to me you know, that, that it might not get exactly the, the response that I wanted it to get. Um, because you can't control that. You can only control what you put into it. You, there's no way you can ever control the outcome. Um, and you have something that you can value if you've put your passion into it and the thing that you, that really interests you in the work and your individual point of view and what, you know, the, the angle of the, the light that you think is particularly exciting. Um, you'll just exhaust yourself if you're trying to figure out like what the, you know, what's the smartest thing to do? What's the, what's the thing that these people are going to like? What's the thing that that person is going to like? It's just, it's so exhausting. Yeah. It, which calls for decompression, right? Which I'm sure you have a lot of methods of relaxing after a hard day of work, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, uh, I honestly thank you for, for sharing all that. Cause there's a, uh, there's so many like just on the nose things we hear all the time when we're first starting out, but it's always great to hear from somebody who has experience and is giving these, these high quality pieces of advice to those who are on a set or on a you know stage and not knowing where the heck to go. Uh, other than crafty to get coffee for like <laughs> the fifth time of the day. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> be careful with the coffee. Yeah, uh, that's a story for another time. Um, <laughs> I uh, I want to see before we wrap up, is there anything, of course, Mandalorian, uh, but anything that I can give a shout out or promo to for this episode? Well, I do have a, a short film that I just shot um, that a friend of mine wrote that we're going to be releasing and it's going to show up in some festivals soon, I guess. So be on the lookout for that. It's called The Marked and Reggie Austin wrote and directed it. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Oh my God. And that's uh, hopefully going to be available to the public at some point, maybe? I think so. Yeah. Well, yes, definitely. Awesome. I don't know when. Okay. And then there's also, there's a web series that I did a couple of years ago, but it's, it's, uh, it's about to be dropped on YouTube so everyone can watch it. And I think it's hilarious. Um, it's called Adoptable and it will be released on YouTube on February 22nd. Okay, perfect. That actually, that should line up perfectly with this episodes release so everybody can just go in from here and watch it yeah that's cool. uh that's awesome well i uh i gotta wrap up here i don't want to take up too much more of your time but first i want to say thank you for you know thank sitting you. down sharing your day with me uh i do want to ask have you ever seen wayne's world oh of course okay perfect uh well you are uh prepped for our final piece of each interview and that is our awkward goodbye 
So essentially when I do a silent three, two, one cameraman countdown and I point to you, give me your best verbal awkward goodbye a la uh, Gar or yeah, not, did I say Garth? Yeah, Garth. <laughs> I had a okay, brain I have to be honest. Second. I totally don't remember the awkward goodbye. You don't? So it wasn't. Wayne's World. It's a, uh, it's funny because it's not necessarily an awkward goodbye, but it's a scene where Wayne leaves the new set that's been taken over. And Garth is there by himself while they're recording. And all he does is do this weird mumbling thing. Do you remember? Which you don't have to do. But I always like ending each episode on a goodbye just as awkward as that. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay, Emily. Here we go. In. Okay. But...